Hey family, I'm so glad you're here with me today as we break open the Word of God and share the Word of God. Actually, today we're in my office, and uh, this office gives me so many memories. It makes me think of how soon we're going to meet in person because uh, being here has all these incredible memories, meeting with my staff, leaders, counseling, all the different things that we do in this office. Soon we'll be moving into our church sanctuary where we'll be meeting with all of you, and wow, is it going to look great. I want to talk today about looking unto Jesus. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 especially, and the reason why I want to talk about this is because in light of the recent distress, uh, we've had COVID, we had following that a great economic meltdown, many small business owners lost their business, many people were laid off, even people in our church, in the midst of our church, in our community, and then we have civil unrest, all three things coming one after the next within a span of three months. And many people are stressed out. Divorce is at an all-time high, or at least it spiked a lot in the last few months. People living in proximity together uh, exacerbate already existing issues that they've had that perhaps were unearthed and magnified during this season. A lot of people are dealing with discouragement. They're dealing with depression. And uh, people are quitting and people are giving up on themselves, unfortunately, as well as other things they're involved in. And so this is a test, a trying time for the whole world. Book Isaiah teaches us in Isaiah 24 and other parts of the Bible that sometimes the whole world goes through a crisis together. Sometimes it's just related to one family or a community or a city or one nation, and now the whole world together is in groaning and it seems like everybody uh, is dealing with the same civil unrest and other things related to the three things I mentioned already. And so because of that, I feel it's so important that we look unto Jesus. And I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm using the King James Version because I like the way the King James brings out this particular text. And the context of Hebrews 12 is the great Hebrews chapter 11 that deals with the heroes of the faith and deals with the fact that it takes faith to serve God and that the Old Testament saints used faith and walked with God and were justified by faith even though it was the Old Testament. And so the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who were starting to go back to the ceremonial law, the Mosaic law, and circumcision to be saved. So Hebrews 11 is teaching them, wait a minute, even in the Old Testament, the Jewish people had to believe God by faith in order to accomplish their purpose. And so it gives a list of great heroes of the faith like David and Barak and Samson, and Abraham, and Moses, and Noah, and Abel, and many others that were mentioned. And in that context, he then tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is before us, looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we look at this, we see he's comparing the Christian walk to a race. And uh, as we look at our life, we are right now in a marathon. It's not a short sprint, but it is a long, long race. That's what Christianity is about. And whenever you look at people who are competing in the races or in any, any sport, for that matter, we realize that the battle is mostly psychological. It's in our heads more than it is just having ourselves in good physical condition, although that's a huge part of it. And so prior to a marathon, there is a focus that has to take place. It has to do with running a certain amount of miles every day. The marathoners I know would run maybe six miles a day, six months before the race. Then it would be eight miles and 10 miles. And right, you know, in the subsequent months, uh, they would run 12 to 15 miles a day right before the marathon. And then they would have to last over 26 miles. And so they had to be focused, they had to be diligent, they had to have their eyes on the prize throughout this training. And then during the race, they had to look straight ahead and endure and not be distracted because it would be easy to give up because there's a certain point in every race and every marathon, some say it's at about the 20th mile, some say the 22nd mile, when they have no energy and they feel like quitting, and their body is screaming at them to quit, when all of a sudden there's a burst of energy, and they get a second wind, and they are able to finish that marathon. The Christian life is like that. There are times when it's really hard. Right now, I believe the world is going through uh, COVID traumatic syndrome. Uh, I'm making that up now, but I'm sure that uh, they're going to start saying something related to that, like pulse traumatic stress syndrome or something. But the syndrome related to being isolated, to being in proximity to people on a regular basis, and then along with that economic unrest, economic uncertainty, and civil unrest, all of that going together. And people are at a very heightened alert. There is a temptation to blow up at people. Uh, there's a temptation to have uh, division or to be oversensitive, and uh, it's, a, it's a really tough time right now. And so if we don't learn the principles in Hebrews chapter 12, some of us may quit the race. And my objective today in this message is I don't want anybody to quit. I want us to understand what the Bible says about serving the Lord and how it is a marathon and how during a marathon you can have many trials and tests and temptations and challenges in your physical body or in your mental abilities. But you don't quit. You just keep look ahead, looking ahead. And so we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. And he says, Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed about with so many witnesses or so great a cloud of witnesses. And so he's referring to the saints of the Old Testament here. But he's also referring to the people in the body of Christ that we're walking with now. And he's also talking about the body of Christ that has already departed and gone to heaven. And so what he's saying is we have a cloud of witnesses, just like in the athletic games in Greece. They, did, they competed in stadiums. 
And so there were different tiers of sections of seats where people were able to sit. Uh, he's describing the race as something that is surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And so the saints of old who have departed know what's going on in heaven. Um, and also the saints in the Old Testament, even before the birth of the church, uh, become a cloud of witnesses. And it's interesting that uh, the, this cloud of witnesses is an example for us of perseverance under trial. As much as we feel we're under stress right now, how many of you have gone through what Moses did? How many of you have gone through what Abraham did? How many of you have gone through what Samson or David? Or uh, what about the other saints like Gideon and Barak? I mean, the things that they went through. How about Noah, 120 years in the making of the ark, people laughing at him. There was no such thing as rain in the way he predicted it. And he continued for 120 years building an ark that would save the world. And so nobody, at least the ones I know of, ever suffered the way any of these have suffered. And yet what Paul is saying here, or the writer of Hebrews is saying, is we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses because they encourage us. No matter what we're going through, there's a story in the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, that we could read, that we can meditate on. And through that narrative, we can apply it to our narrative and get encouragement and faith. And so there's a cloud of witnesses of the past, present, and then even the future church, that we're all one body. And the word cloud in the Greek is a massive cloud that covers the whole sky that's indistinguishable from other smaller clouds. And so there are certain cloud formations that are so huge that there's no longer any individual uh, clouds that are being expressed. And so that's what it's saying here in the Greek. We're surrounded by a mass of witnesses, cloud of witnesses, uh, which has to do with the fact that we're all one body. We are, even though individuals, we are all part of the same movement, indistinguishable from one another when it comes to looking at ourselves as the body of Christ. Uh, God doesn't look at us merely through the eyes or the lens that the people in the world do. He doesn't see us merely as a black person or a Hispanic person or a Caucasian person or an Asian person. There's a mass, a cloud of witnesses where one body, where his children, that's the primary way he looks at us. And so we also understand that because it covers the whole sky and not just a little cloud here and there, it means that there's so many believers all over the world who believe just like us. Sometimes you may think that you're alone, but like Elijah learned, there are 7,000 in addition to him, that had not bowed the knee to Baal. So there's many true believers, confessing Christians across the earth that we could look to for inspiration. There are many Christians being martyred today, even in uh, North Africa and other places of the world. And they're not denying their faith. And they're giving their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are more people dying for Christ today than there were in the early church. And so these are the cloud of witnesses uh, and the word witness is the Greek word martyrs. It's where we get our word martyr. And of course, the word martyr in the contemporary days refers to someone who did die for their faith. And so um, the witnesses in those days were people who legally 
witness the a document or a, a official transaction related to property or some other legal thing, and they were a certified witness that was called upon to uh, bear witness that it was a legal transaction, that someone did own the property or some other related thing that was official. And so it's saying that there is an official cloud of witnesses. These are the people who stand in the court of judgment of, with God to encourage us, but also to bear witness against us if we ever say, well, it was too hard or too difficult to serve God. And they'll say, I've been through worse. I'm a witness that God is faithful. And so this cloud of witnesses are legally standing along with God as those encouraging us, but also those who will rebuke us if we ever give up and say that God didn't come through. They're the witnesses who bear witness to us even today through the lens of Scripture that in the same way their faith was beneficial, their faith was effectual, their faith was able to keep them going in spite of all the harrowing trials, risks, tribulations, adventures, and uncertainty in their life. They were able to trust in God, and they bear witness to us even to this day that we have no reason to quit. So there's a cloud of witnesses. Um, they are people who remain faithful even unto death. And that's where we get the word martyr. And they are people who testify what they have experienced, what they've seen and heard. And they continue to testify to us today through Holy Writ or the Scriptures. And then he says, in light of the fact that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, uh, what are we supposed to do? He said, well, lay aside every weight. Sin is a weight. Sin is a burden. Sin slows us down. The Bible says the pleasures of sin are for a season. So sin is very pleasurable, which is why it's addictive, which is why it's very tempting, which is why it is a test to be tempted by things like lust or covetousness or uh, stealing something or any other of the Ten Commandments. Um, sometimes when we practice a particular sin, it is pleasurable, which is why we become addicted to it. But what Paul is saying here is in this race of life, it slows us down. It, it's a, a weight. If someone's running in the marathon, you don't see them carrying five-pound weights even if it's only a pound, because that one pound will slow them down and stop them from winning that marathon. So he's saying, get rid of everything that is not absolutely necessary, even if something you deem is good and un, uh, harmful, not harmful, but if it's slowing you down, if it's stopping you from serving the Lord with all your heart and might, uh, get rid of that weight. So sin is a burden. It's not a blessing. And the sin which so easily besets us, it's so easy because Satan knows what buttons to push. There are certain things we haven't yet surrendered unto God, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's lust, whether it's a loss of, loss of temper, whether it's a, a form of insecurity. Um, and instead of allowing God to heal us, the, the devil just knows what buttons to keep pushing. It so easily besets us, meaning it doesn't take much to tempt us in that area. And so you know what those areas are. That's another thing that will slow you down and even stop you from winning that marathon of life. And by the way, 
when we run the race, it's not just to receive a temporal crown or uh, a temporal reward. We are going to receive an eternal reward. And even as Paul uses an illustration of wrestling in Ephesians 6, he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He's talking about how this is a contest that is for life and death. So the marathon we're running is not just for a mere earthly reward or recognition or accolades. It has to do with destiny. It has to do with life. If we quit, others around us will quit. If we continue on in spite of our difficulties, we are going to egg on and encourage our family, our friends, and those who work with us, those in proximity to us will see, wow, if that person didn't quit, I don't have to quit. And so there is a weight of sin. There's some sins, maybe they're the root sins in our life, the roots that cause other sins to spring up. Whatever sin you don't deal with will give life to other sins. So this is the sin that so easily besets us. And the word besets is something that encompasses us. Uh, it's something that surrounds us. And so even as a runner is running, he can't have loose clothing that's hanging down over his legs because they will encompass his legs and cause him or her to trip. So what it's saying is when a person's about to run, they're going to throw off every weight. They're going to throw off this robe uh, that is long and that could possibly impede their steps and slow them down. And they're just going to run with all their might. And so those sins that easily beset us are the sins that surround us. They're always with us. They're sins that are not dealt with, and it causes us to trip. And so we're called to throw off all those things and then it says that to run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. So everyone has a particular race set before them. My race is different from your race. My assignment is different from your assignment. If I try to walk in somebody else's assignment, I'm going to be out of my lane. I won't have the grace to finish it. So uh, in everybody's particular race, in everybody's particular assignment, it takes patience or endurance. And so how does endurance come? Well, endurance comes from practice. Endurance comes from discipline. Endurance comes from focus. And endurance comes from having our eyes on, on the prize. And in order for me to keep on keeping on, I have to continually practice the disciplines. In my case and in your case as a Christian, the spiritual disciplines of prayer of fasting, of reading the Word, of being in fellowship with others, to keep on keeping on. That is what gives me endurance. Uh, that is what gives me the fight so that I don't quit. That is what gives me the wind. That's the wind in, beneath my sails that keeps me going in spite of the rough waters. And so we have to have things like these spiritual disciplines. We have to have people that encourage us and exhort us have examples, and have a church that eggs us on. And that is all important when it comes to having endurance. Endurance implies that there is going to be great challenges. Endurance implies it's not going to be easy. Being a Christian is very, very difficult. Following your assignment is very, very difficult. Sometimes you feel like you're being put to death to continue. But that's a good thing because your flesh dies so that you could depend on Jesus even more. Endurance implies that it's, 
It's filled with challenges. It's wrought with risks. It's wrought with uncertainty. Um, endurance means that sometimes you don't want to go on. You think it'll be easier not to go on. But actually, it's harder when you walk outside of your assignment than if you continue with endurance to finish the race. Endurance means that you look at the end. It tells us in Ecclesiastes, I think it's chapter 4, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. So one of the keys is to begin with the end in mind. Understand the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and that'll keep you going. And so we have endurance that is absolutely an essential element or component for us to continue the race that is set before us. What is set before me is going to be different from what is set before you. But all of us as a collective body of Christ have one goal in mind, and that is to reach our neighbor and our communities and nations for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we all have a, uh, an umbrella, so to speak, over us of that collective race. But everybody's contribution and how we run it is going to be different. And then in verse 2, it tells us how we're going to make it. First, he talks about how we have a cloud of witnesses encouraging us. But at the end of the day, even more than the saints of old, even more than looking unto the people around me, I have to look unto Jesus. I can't just even read the Bible. I have to experience the Bible. I have to have that relationship with God. You could even read the Bible and not know God. So it's talking about having that relationship, having our eyes fixed on Jesus, not having our eyes fixed on ourselves. And the more we look at the problems in our life, the bigger the problems become. The more we look at Jesus, the smaller the problems become and the bigger Jesus becomes in our heart. Whatever you're focused on is going to be the biggest thing in your life. Whatever you're focused on becomes the idol, becomes the God in your life. And so he's saying here, look unto Jesus. And the reason why we look unto Jesus is he is our author and the finisher of our faith. The word author means the chief one, meaning he's the main example He's the one that endured uh, and resisted sin even to the point of shedding his blood. As it tells us later on in this chapter, he is the one that we look to as our example. But it doesn't only mean that Jesus is our example. It means that he is the author of our faith because he gave us faith. When we look at him, our faith increases. When we look to Jesus, we have the faith that enables us to endure so that we can, what, finish the race. So we begin the race because of Jesus. We end the race. We finish and complete our assignment because of Jesus. If you look to anybody else, if you look to yourself, if you just look at your spouse, if you just look at your best friend, if you just look at the church, it's not going to be enough. You have to look at Jesus. Don't get upset at God because of other people or because of your own failures. He never fails. So we have to look unto Jesus because he's the author or the initiator and the finisher of our faith. If we're going to run well, if we're going to end the race well, only Jesus can help us end it well. And then it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame it is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so it's telling us how he ran the race. It was, he was able to finish because... There was joy set before him. 
I think part of that joy was accomplishing that which the Father told him to accomplish and hearing the words of his Father say, well done, my son. Another thing that gave him joy was seeing your beautiful faces coming to the cross, being uh, brought to a relationship with the Father and knowing that he's going to spend eternity with you and with me and with his bride, the church. That was set before him. He had that in mind. But the word set before him also means something. Uh, the joy that was set before him can also be translated in the Greek as uh, for that which he left or replaced the joy that was set before him. So you can read it like this, who for the joy that was set before him, and the word who for means that he replaced the joy, meaning that he left glory, he left heaven, he left that joy that was before him and replaced it with what? A cross, with shame, with being despised and walking amongst us. He was able to replace glory with gory, with Golgotha. Why? Because he loved the Father, obeyed the Father, and he wanted to see your beautiful face walking with him. And it tells us more about this in, he, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, that he left, even though he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he made himself the form of a servant. He left glory, and he became obedient even unto the point of death. And because of that, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So because he left glory, because he left that which was set before him, that joy, and he despised um, uh, his, his own uh, situation and did it anyway because he was put to shame, he was spat upon, he was put on a cross. He was treated unfairly. Even though he despised it, he still endured it because he wanted to see you and me walk with his Father. And we need to look at the end result of what we're motivated to do, why that will motivate us to continue, I should say, of our, our race. Because if we just look at the circumstances, we focus on the problems and what's going on right now and forget about the reason why we're serving God and the reason why we're in ministry or the reason why we're a Christian and a Christ follower. We don't constantly look at that and we can get discouraged and want to quit. And so it says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So after he finished his race and he glorified the Father, he sat down at the throne. What does that mean? That has to do with the fact that he didn't have to come and suffer anymore. He didn't have to die on the cross again for us. He suffered once for all, the just for the unjust, that he may bring us to God. There's not more than one sacrifice. He doesn't have to become uh, flesh and blood again and die on the cross over and over and over again like the Old Testament sacrifices had to continually be sacrificed and offered up to God for their forgiveness and their acceptance. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is after he suffered and died, he sat down at the right hand of the throne. He said it is finished. 
everything that was needed to bring you to God, everything that was needed so that you could finish the race, so that you could look to Him, whether He as an example, or whether He who gives us faith and strength and endurance, or because the finished work of the cross guarantees that we win, if we don't quit and don't give up, that is what it's all about. He sat down, He rested, He's reigning in heaven right now. He sat down at the throne of God. The throne is talking about the fact that he's in charge. He's not taken by surprise with corona, with civil unrest, with business failures, with the economic downturn and collapse. He's on the throne. Not the U.S., not the president, not the mayor, not any other person, whether famous or infamous. He is on the throne. And as long as you remember that, you're going to continue on. I want us to pray. There are some who want to give up. Maybe you want to give up on your marriage. Or maybe you want to give up on your church. Or maybe you want to give up on yourself. Or maybe you want to give up on your ministry. The worst thing you could do under crises and stress is to make an important decision. People who are doing very bad emotionally, they, they quit things they should have never quit. You wait till you get in the presence of God and you're filled with the Spirit of God and you're led by the Spirit of God before you make any decisions. You don't make decisions when you're very, very tired, when you're weary, when you're oppressed, when you're down, because that's your emotions talking. Sometimes it could even be the, the devil talking through your depleted emotions. So I want to pray for you that you will finish the race that you'll look to Jesus and not look to anybody else, that you'll focus on God more than your problems. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can look unto Jesus, who alone is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh God, I pray for the weary. I pray for those who are dealing with discouragement, encourage them, give them back their first love. We speak their ministry back. We speak restoration to their family, restoration to their own walk with you. Anybody who's fallen away, oh God, bring them back. Oh God, heal their souls. Help them to come back to you. If you're somebody who wants to receive Jesus and you know that you're not in the right race, everybody's in a race. You could be in a rat race. You could be in some kind of race. We're all part of the human race, so everybody's in a race. But now you want to get in God's race. You want to run for Him instead of yourself. If that's you, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that He rose from the dead, and He's Lord, you can receive Him right now. For those of you who believe that, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God rose Christ from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, yes, that's you, will be saved. And so I'm going to give you a chance right now to pray a prayer. And if you mean it, if you're believing with your heart what your mouth is about to say, you're making a decision for Christ. So let's pray. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Jesus, I believe you died for me that you're alive right now because you rose from the dead. Come in my life. Forgive me 
forgive me of all my sins, and I will follow you. I turn my life to you. I, I, I turn my whole heart back to you so I could serve you. Thank you for filling me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. A disciple just means someone who's disciplined, who follows Jesus. And so if you just prayed that prayer, it's just a decision. But God wants you to go from being a decision maker to now a disciple or a Christ follower. And in order to do that, you need to connect with a church. Please let us know if you prayed that prayer. And if you're serious about following God, we'll do our best to connect you to either our church or one of our Zoom rooms or to another church. Uh, in your area. God bless you. I'm so thrilled that we were able to break the bread of God's Word together today.